Okay, hello, and welcome back to Responding to the podcast that aims to expand information about all things gender and sexuality, especially for an audience of older, cisgender, heterosexual white men. I'm your host, Lane. I'm a transgender, queer person with a background in women and gender studies and performance studies. All right, so yet again, I'm coming back from a bit of a hiatus. Uh, I'm now on the other side of a move, so for those of you keeping score at home, I did in fact move just one year prior, and you know, two moves within 12 months, here's what I can tell you definitively, I hate moving. (laughs) Anyway, um, I've been in my new place for a couple months now, and I also had a birthday, my partner had a birthday, it's been an eventful time, Um, but now I'm back and ready to be here. Uh, today I'm going to be unpacking the idea of compulsory heterosexuality. If that term sounds a little unapproachable to you, don't worry. We're going to have some fun like we usually do and learn some stuff. And before you know it, you're going to be employing this term yourself, I'll bet. Uh, before we get to the definition, I want to say that there is going to be some overlap between this episode and episode nine preferences, uh, in case that's helpful or interesting to you. So, diving in, what is compulsory heterosexuality? Let's start by defining the words separately, and then we'll define them together. Compulsory means mandatory or something that you are in some way obligated to do without choice. Um, And heterosexuality is currently defined by our culture as, quote, an exclusive romantic and or sexual attraction to the opposite gender, end quote. And of course, we're putting scare quotes around opposite gender because there are more than two genders. So opposite gender is a nonsensical term, but we are dealing with imperfect language and concepts here. So that's what we have. Um, Putting the words back together, the term compulsory, compulsory heterosexuality refers to the cultural assumption that it is natural and inevitable that men and women are exclusively attracted to each other physically and emotionally, and that this is an unquestionable truth regardless of context or location, and that any other expression of sexuality deviates from what is natural and normal. In other words, compulsory heterosexuality is a societal belief that heterosexuality is always and forever the only normal and natural sexuality, no matter who you are or where you live. A really harmless little idea, don't you think? That was sarcasm, in case it wasn't clear. Um, I believe the term was introduced by Adrienne Rich in her essay from 1980 entitled Compulsory Heterosexuality and Lesbian Existence. And it has since been discussed pretty widely in the world of academia and beyond. Now, you might be asking yourself why this matters enough to dedicate a whole episode of the podcast to it. And that's a fair question because on the one hand, I've already talked a lot on this show about how heterosexuality is the normalized sexual identity in US culture. So if we've already established that, why am I dedicating a whole episode to the idea? First, let me remind us that June is Pride Month, so regardless of your relationship to that idea, here we are highlighting non-heterosexual sexualities. Um, But beyond that context, here's what's so important about focusing on this idea. If you've grown up in a culture that believes heterosexuality to be the norm, you have ingrained the idea of compulsory heterosexuality within yourself. 
And no matter your sexuality now, there is likely some part of you that relates to heterosexuality as the norm and all other forms of sexuality as deviating from that norm. And at first consideration, that might not seem like anything to dwell on, like, yeah, we already know, so what? But I think it's really important to slow that idea down and really feel what it means to have ingrained heterosexuality as the norm and every other version of sexuality as deviant. It informs so much of the way we relate to each other and the world around us and ourselves at such a foundational level. I just listened to a current podcast about popular culture where a main topic of discussion was whether or not men and women can ever be just friends. (laughs) The way we talk to babies and children about family and relationships and romance and where babies come from is all steeped in the logic of compulsory heterosexuality. You might know the term gaydar. It's a popularly discussed concept, but there's no straight dar or heterosexual dar in popular usage. Um, The majority of romantic and or sexual representation in the media is still heterosexual. It really comes to inform a lot. And so I think it's worth spending the length of this podcast episode (laughs) dwelling on it. And hopefully longer. Um, If you're listening to this, you probably are already in a place or willing to be encouraged into a place where you can agree that there's no inherent reason why heterosexuality is any more normal or valuable than any other form of sexuality. And if you're pushing back against that, let's consider that every year in the U.S., more people identify their sexuality to be something other than heterosexual. And this trend aligns with an increase in media, legal, political representation of sexualities other than heterosexual. I'm speaking specifically from and about the context of the U.S. because that's really the only context I'm intimately familiar with. Um, In other words, as our culture is doing the slow and repetitive work of decentering heterosexuality, more and more of us are responding by centering our personal identities around sexualities other than heterosexual. And so while I don't really think it's possible to prove if this is, quote, natural or not, I do think that this proves that, quote, normal is whatever we say it is, and thus heterosexuality is only the norm because we've said it was for a long time. And I think at this point, the devil's advocate in the corner may be inclined to bring up reproduction. And sure, because we have set up our society to value and normalize the combination of romantic, sexual, and reproductive relationships in one pair of people, it really does look like reproduction is what points to the, quote, natural quality of heterosexuality. But, and you know I've got to do it. We only view reproduction as tied to romance and sexuality because we've constructed our society that way. There's nothing inherent to reproduction or sexuality or romance that says they all have to be connected. Again, we've decided that they must be, and so we've come to believe that that's, quote, normal and natural. But I'm inclined to say, nah uh (laughs) There are an infinite number of ways to structure a society, and the way that ours is structured is not intrinsically normal or natural. And maybe this brings up questions about the validity of heterosexual relationships or attraction. And you know, that's a tough topic, because the concept of compulsory heterosexuality necessarily implies that any other desires outside of heterosexuality are repressed. 
I don't personally think that that means that no heterosexual relationship can be fulfilling, valuable, mutually beneficial, or authentic. However, I do think it means that necessarily more people are in heterosexual relationships out of a sense of reproductive, sexual, and or romantic obligation or limitation to some degree than would be if we didn't live under a regime of compulsory heterosexuality. And I think that's a hard but necessary truth we need to come to understand. I personally think there's a ripple effect here that goes beyond the realm of sexuality because if we're limited in one realm of identity, I'm not sure how that wouldn't affect other aspects of our lives. As we've already discussed in this episode and in previous episodes, sexuality and gender overlap and are intertwined in some intricate ways. So if we're repressed in terms of sexuality, I certainly think we're repressed in terms of gender. And then because we also know that each of our categories of identities of identity inform the others, I think it's also safe to assume that the repression of compulsory heterosexuality extends beyond sexuality and gender to likely all aspects of our identity in some way. I think we have to contend culturally with the question of how far the repression extends and what effect that's having on us individually and collectively. I think that contention is going to prove to be an important piece of working toward our collective liberation. So, here we are in an exciting time when sexual representation and identification is expanding exponentially and we should be reveling in that expansion. And alongside that revelry, it's still important for us to recognize that we carry with us the cultural baggage of compulsory heterosexuality. Because for those of us who've internalized that, which is certainly the majority of us, we will likely grapple with that for our lifetimes. And I don't know about you, but I personally find it easier to grapple with the benefit of knowledge. And we have now reached the recommendation section of the show. This episode, I would like to recommend another podcast to you. It's not really um, exactly related to compulsory heterosexuality or even sexuality per se specifically, um, but it's a podcast that I have been obsessed with and they just released or started their seventh season, so it seemed timely. Um, So the podcast is called Gender Reveal and it is lovely. It's hosted by uh, the darling Tuck Woodstock who leads the show under the title Resident Gender Detective. <laughs> the show endeavors to figure out what gender is. <laughs> um, episodes are made up of topical gender news, interviews with trans people, and question and answer segments. Um, it's informative, humorous, topical, just lovely. Um, I highly recommend giving it a listen and a follow, and I'll put a link to that podcast in this episode's show notes. And that's all I've got for you this episode, short and sweet. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to make a sustaining monthly donation to the podcast on Patreon, I would be ever so grateful. Uh, Truly, no amount is insignificant. Uh, You can find that at patreon.com slash responding to, and I'll put the link in the podcast description. If you can't make a donation, but you still want to support me, leave me a rating and or review wherever you're listening to this. That would be super helpful. Uh, And one more way you can support me is by sharing the podcast on your social media or just telling your friends about it. Thank you again for listening to episode 23 of Responding 2. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode and have a great rest of your day.